Who were you before you lost your wild self? That's what we're helping you explore on the Tend Her Wild podcast. Through questions and tools around how best to listen to your inner voice, rewild ourselves, and live the most authentic life where we thrive instead of survive. I'm Betsy. And I'm Kate. And we're so glad you've joined us for this episode. Tend Her Wild podcast listeners, we are so happy to have uh, just a beautiful guest with us today that um, has been on our books for several months, and we have been looking forward to this day for a long time. Uh, Tracy Stanley is with us today, and she is the author of the best-selling book, Radiant Rest, Yoga Nidra for Deep Relaxation and Awakened Clarity. And she's got another book coming up that we're excited to talk about today called The Luminous Self, Sacred Yogic Practices and Rituals to Remember Who You Are. These are both by Shambhala. Tracy is the founder of Empowered Life Circle, a sacred community and portal, I love that word, by the way, of practices, rituals, and tantric teachings inspired by more than 20 years of study in the Sri Vidya Tantra and the teachings of the Himalayan masters. As a post-lineage teacher, Tracy is devoted to sharing the wisdom of yoga nidra, rest, meditation, self-inquiry, nature as a teacher, which I also love, and ancestor reverence. Tracy is gifted in illuminating the magic and power found in liminal space and weaving devotion and practice into daily life. Welcome, Tracy Stanley. Yes, welcome. Mm, thank you so much for having me, and thank you for that beautiful introduction. Yes. Mm, yeah. So, Tracy, we always love to start with our guests talking about your first 10 years. We've really learned that there's a through line for people. And so what experiences or early uh, learnings or, um, you know, just your path, how did it all begin for you? And um, whatever you're willing to share with us about maybe those first 10 years. I love that question, the first 10 years. So what I can tell you about my first 10 years is that my parents were very strict and so they were very protective as well. So they were the type of parents who really did not um, believe in kids being babysat. Mm-hmm. So it, and both of my parents worked. So they, they basically figured out a way to make sure that we were always with one of them. Mm-hmm. Right. So that sounds really great, but at the same time, it, there wasn't a lot of freedom. Um, my mother was an academic and is still an academic. Um, and so she was very interested in making sure that I knew how to read and that I was kind of ahead of the curve. So I was reading the New York Times when I was very young. I skipped kindergarten and first grade. And that, although that could sound great for an introvert that doesn't have a lot of exposure to the world, that could be very um, destabilizing. 
yeah. right? Because they're, you're in a group of kids that have these different experiences and you're much younger. So it really started to mold me as even more of an introvert, as a natural introvert, and then also, I think, a conditioned introvert. And then I would say that I spent a lot of time in my imagination. I spent a lot of time daydreaming. I spent many hours reading the encyclopedias from A to Z. Um, and I, I think I developed a love of learning. Uh, and I developed a love of um, being, I don't want to say a disciplined learner, but definitely somebody who um, had a desire to learn and was able to do it daily because I wasn't allowed also to go out and play with friends, mm, right? So yeah. even, I don't remember when I was in the brownies, what age that was, but it feels like the it was brownies. before age 10. Remember the brownies? I remember the brownies. I was a brownie. <laughs> I was a brownie. <laughs> so I was in the brownies and in the Girl Scouts and they would have camping trips, but because my parents were so protective, I wasn't allowed to go on any of the excursions. I wasn't allowed to have friends over. So I spent a lot of time alone, a lot of time imagining, a lot of time creating. Are you an only child? A lot of time. No, no. My brother um, it was four years younger. Okay. Is four years younger. Um, but he had a different set of rules because he was a boy. Interesting. (laughs) We could talk about that for a while, right? Right. (laughs) Um, And so I had a very close relationship with my dad, very close relationship still with my mom. My dad passed away about 10 years ago. Um, And there was a lot of love in the family and a lot of inspiration of seeing my mother going to school and getting, you know, two bachelor's degrees and master's degrees and a doctorate and my father building his own successful business as an entrepreneur. So I had a lot of inspiration, but it was all very contained. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And safe. Yeah. Like there was this uh, bubble, a little bit of a bubble feels like. For well, you. you know, it's interesting. It's like you, it, I think the intention was to create this safety. Yeah. But when you create this bubble, then everything outside of the bubble is suspect Mm -hmm. and possibly dangerous. Right. Yeah. So there's, there's the, there's a lot of that, like, Oh yes, I feel safe in this bubble, but what's out there. Yeah. I had such a similar experience growing up, raised in a very small sort of loving bubble. And then the transition into my own adulthood was a little more rocky. And so I'm super curious to know, Tracy, you know, you eventually clearly left home and went out into the world. And um, what was that like coming from all of this discipline and this protection and um, this introversion? Well, I think what it created was a lot of naivete mm-hmm. of about the world. And this is, you know, obviously what they were trying to protect me from. Um, and so I really had, luckily I'm a very good learner. I'm a quick, I'm a quick learner. Sometimes it takes me a couple of times to learn a lesson, but usually after the second time, it's like, Oh, okay, I got it. Yeah. So I really had to become aware of how people, and this was always, I think a curiosity of, you know, people's actions, and their intentions 
and that not everything is safe and good, um, but there are also uh, gradations of that. And I think that I was lucky enough that my grandmother was a preacher, and so I spent a lot of time in church. Um, And so that was like one microcosm of seeing what the world was like. And in that microcosm, I got to see that, oh, people don't always do what they say they're doing or what they're telling other people to do. Ah, And that there is this idea of, you know, jealousy and competition that I could see within the members of the congregation and certain things that happened during that period of time. And then yet I saw my Nana as this kind of all encompassing divine mother energy Mm. that I didn't, I wouldn't have said divine mother back then. Right. But she had this divine mother energy. She had lots of Shakti. She Mm. was an incredible matriarch. She had fierce compassion Mm. and she also possessed unconditional love. Wow. So I got to see for a whole community of people. Sounds like. Yeah. For a whole community. Absolutely. For a whole community of people. Um, And she also adopted uh, six children from foster care. So she not only had her congregation, but she also brought in uh, these foster kids, as well as my mother and her brother, who were actually her step uh, children. Wow. Her step grandchildren, to be honest. So it's um, so, yeah, there's there's a lot that I got to see there. And because I was an introvert and still am, I think I developed the power of, of observation very early on. I wasn't the person who was kind of in the mix. I was always the one on the outside watching and observing and learning. Mm. I'm struck by already just in this short time, we've talked the power of the feminine for you, that you had this Nana who had held all this energy and was in a leadership position and had fierce compassion. And then this mama who was an academic and, you know, about education and learning. Um, And in this podcast, we talk so much about women rising and that feminine energy rising and, and how it's sort of happening around us in clearer ways than it used to be 20 years ago. And how Kate and I have both felt this call of service and allowing that feminine to come forth, um, in, in our personal lives. So would you talk about that? Cause even yoga Nidra, as you've described in your beautiful book is described as the goddess, you know, mm. this deep feminine. Mm. And so would you share with us just about that lineage of you coming from these strong feminine, but then how it comes out into the world through your teachings and how you show up? That's a wonderful question. Thank you so much. Mm -hmm. Um, You know, what I would say is because of that bubble that we talked about for a long time, I didn't really realize that that was not the usual, right? Is that to have these powerful women and my grandmother on my paternal side was also extremely powerful. So I think that what I learned at a very early age, and this was also something that my father um, told me over and over again, 
that I was worthy and capable of accomplishing anything that I put my mind to. So I never felt that I had um, boundaries that were or limitations that were coming from inside of me. But I recognized, obviously, the systemic limitations that people oppress and place on people that look like me. Right. Especially, um, you know, growing up in the 70s. Right. So I would say that I had uh, this feeling that I can connect to my imagination and my imagination of what I would love to do and what I have a desire to do and also what I'm good at doing. I can create anything from that. Mm. Um, And when I was introduced to the practice of yoga nidra, funnily enough, it was actually introduced um, really in a more masculine way. There was never any mention of the goddess. Oh, wow. There was never any mention of this kind of feminine force of nurturing, of the Shakti of repose. Well, I... It's so clearly feminine. It's It's so so clearly feminine. So, I mean, yeah, keep going because I'm like, whoa. (laughs) Well, it it was presented, um, first of all, how I originally received it. Um, there was really not an introduction into this is yoga nidra. It was like, oh, lay down on your mat and we're going to do this thing. And eventually over time, it was kind of revealed that this practice had a name and this practice was called yoga nidra. Um, And I had practiced for many, many years. And the way that I learned when I did my uh, 200 hour teacher training and other teacher trainings after that, was that you always ended with some sort of guided deep relaxation practice, some sort of rotation of consciousness, body scan, possible yoga nidra. And again, it was the the goddess never came into the, the picture. Hmm. And it wasn't until I did a, uh, I was doing a class on, uh, it was a Lakshmi sadhana. And the teacher um, was a, uh, Sri Devi Bringy, who was a former professor and, and scientist at Naropa University. And I had done other pujas before, and I had learned different mantras and had been singing the Devi Suktam. And at one point, uh, she gave us a shortened version of the Devi Suktam. And she went through each one of these qualities. So, you know, one of them was Lakshmi, one of them was Shakti, one of them was Nidra. And she starts talking about the goddess Yoga Nidra. Mm. And I was like, wait a second. How come I haven't ever heard of the goddess Yoga Nidra? And how come I never put those two things together? Because I've been singing this chant and not understanding this story as the goddess. Mm. And so she shared um, one of the stories um, from the uh, Mahabharata and some of the other Vedic teachings where Yoga Nidra is mentioned as a goddess. And then, of course, I went down a rabbit hole, (laughs) right? I went down a rabbit hole. And as I went down that rabbit hole, what I also learned um, that was kind of skipped over in the, the lineage and but it is written about in a very short chapter in Swami Rama's book, Living with the Himalayan Masters, 
is that the person who introduced him and um, initiated him into the practice of yoga nidra was a woman. Wow. Was a woman who was somewhere between 90 and 100 years old who lived in Assam and was practicing at this temple in Kamakya. And the rumor in the town was that she never slept. And so he became very curious about how it is that she never slept because she seemed like she was full of Shakti and she was bright and she had all of this kind of power. And he would follow her and kind of spy on her in the temple at night because she was doing some sort of practice in the temple at night. And eventually she caught him, you know, and said, what, what are you doing? <laughs> and he said, I, I want to learn what it is that you have to teach. And she said, well, what I have to teach is the power of the sound and the symbol of Om, which represents all the states of consciousness, the waking, dreaming, deep sleep, and the state of yoga nidra. Mm-hmm. And that if you understand Om, you understand everything about yoga and everything about existence and consciousness. And so from what my memory serves me right, I think he, he spent uh, something like 50 to 70 days with her practicing and learning. Wow. And from that teaching, he actually transcribed and translated, I should say, um, his version of the Mandukya Upanishads, which is one of the shortest Upanishads, but is the 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 teaching on Om and the states of consciousness and the practice of Yoga Nidra that is kind mm-hmm. of, I shouldn't say the practice, but the consciousness that is Yoga Nidra. Wow. Can I ask, first of all, where did you grow up? I grew up on Long Island. Long Island. And did you find yoga young? Did you find yoga in your 20s? I'm just curious kind of when yoga itself became, you know, something you yeah. engaged in. Thank you for that question. I I, I believe that yoga was always with me mm-hmm. um, because there were these little breadcrumbs where I think by the time I moved out of my parents' house, I had probably five copies of the Bhagavad Gita. Wow. That had, that had never been opened by the way. Right. Like they were, I had them because back in the day when you would go to the airport, the Hare Krishnas would be chanting and they would be taking donations and they would give you a copy of the Bhagavad Gita. So for whatever reason, this was like kind of a running joke in my family that whenever we would go to, I would be the one that would receive the Bhagavad Gita from from the Hare symbolic. Krishnas. It is. That's so symbolic. And you kept, isn't <laughs> it? Isn't it yeah. interesting? Yeah. And then the other thing is my mom had, um, back in the day, they used to have these like books by the pound sales. And so she would come home with all of these different books for whatever reason. True academic. Mm-hmm. That's what a true. Yes, yeah, just grab the books. Do, by the like I will take every on. book I can get. Right. <laughs> exactly. So she would bring these books home and then I would like sift through the books and pick the ones that I wanted to read. And so the the two books um that I think are important to talk about are one book was called Chant and Be Happy. And so I was I read this book Chant and Be Happy and in that book there is the Hare Krishna um chant. And so I learned, I learned the Hare Krishna chant from this book, Chant and Be Happy. One of my dad's favorite songs um, was George Harrison, My Sweet Lord, yeah. where they chant Hare Krishna. So I had this Hare Krishna running 
which is in why the they background. gave you the books at the airport because they felt that <laughs> energy yeah. in you probably <laughs> <laughs> it's so bizarre and then i would say the the last thing is um that because i was never allowed out and this i was not allowed out until i was like 19. (laughs) So basically my mom came home one day with this book that was um, about astral projection. Mm. And I opened up the book and I was like, oh, this would be a good way for me to like be able to get out of the house is learn how to do this astral projection. And astral projection for me, I think was a precursor to this practice of yoga nidra of being comfortable in the liminal space, even though I stopped doing it at some point because I heard a rumor from someone that if you, if you, uh, you know, wake up at at a certain point, you'll die when you're doing it, which is not true. But, um, so there were all these little breadcrumbs. There was, you know, my, my good friend, Nabushe Wright, who had started doing yoga when we were living in New York city after I moved out of my parents' home And she's like, I got to show you this thing that I've been doing. And essentially what she was showing me was how to do a sun salutation. Mm -hmm. So if I look back, I feel like yoga was always there waiting for me to wake up to yoga. Yeah. I feel that same thing that it for a white girl who grew up in the Midwest, it was always in me. And then when I found it, it awakened. And then I felt like I knew all this stuff that I didn't know how I knew. Right. Like mm-hmm. I, mm-hmm. I'm like, how do I know all of this? It's it's always been in there. So I really appreciate that. Yeah. So yeah. and I love how for you, like the themes of your early life are imagination and introversion and like going in and out of these liminal spaces and creativity and how that is the seeds of yoga nidra and that the book that you wrote, by the way, I was, I had had so many books on yoga nidra, but they were all written by men and they were very clinical and they, there were no examples of really how to do it or how it felt. And so when I got your book, I remember I'm like, oh, someone has finally written the book that I always wanted. And then there's beautiful pictures in it and you describe in such poetic language, you write these beautiful poems about your experience. And I guess I didn't know you, but I wanted to like high five you. Thank you. Someone wrote about this. And from this feminine perspective, which I've always been searching for all my yoga teachers were men. And I was always looking for that feminine uh, perspective. So I'm just bowing to that work that you have put out there in the world and has made such an impact. Mm, thank you so much, Nikki. Yeah. And, you know, it wasn't, um, I had to come to, because when I was approached by Shambhala to write a book about Yoga Nidra, my original answer was no, because there's this book and there's that book and there's this book and this person's writing a book. And, you know, luckily my, my editor was very persistent and I said, okay, let me think about what do I have to offer? <laughs> What do I have to offer? And if I'm writing a book, I know that I have a relationship with this, with this practice or this technique. I hope to have a relationship that is continually and ongoing deeper and deeper to the state of yoga nidra, whether I've been in that state or not, who knows, 
but the grace of yoga nidra and the possibilities that exist in that space i want to continue to explore so how can i create a uh i would almost say like a manual is what i was thinking um that can inspire people to cultivate their own relationship with yoga nidra as the goddess as the technique and as the state of consciousness because there are a lot of things out there that tell you this is how you do it and doesn't really give you the spaciousness to or, or the permission to explore um and i really wanted it to feel like an exploration yeah i've always felt yoga nidra to me was always um you made it feel more accessible as i read it because i i, I would always say well i don't have a whole hour or i I don't have time for that uh, mm-hmm. length of stillness. <laughs> um, but you even have three to five minute ways to just build it in. And you, you make it feel like it's it's something that c- you c- can show up for you at times of need. And it's not, it's not that you have to devote an entire hour. You can build up to that. And, um, and the, the other piece is the times we're living in. I was just with 18 college students yesterday and there's so much coming at all of us, especially young people. And so learning that skill to be able to be still, whether, you know, through yoga nidra meditation, I feel like this is built for the times we're in right now. Mm -hmm. As ancient as it is, Mm -hmm. it's never been more needed. And so um, you're kind of this beautiful combination of the f- your female role models, I feel like, as in you know, the academic side, but then also your even your grandmother and being able to kind of speak to the masses, and right? Be a prophet, yeah. kind of for this for this, um, and it, it just it feels very very relevant and um, incredibly important yeah. and, for people. And I'm curious, mm-hmm. why do you think it is so relevant right now? I mean, you wrote this during the pandemic, or did it come out right in the middle of the pandemic? This book. <laughs> yeah, so I was writing the book. I finished the book in Costa Rica on uh, February 28th is when I hit send done, like final, final edit done of 2020. And uh, it was just interesting to watch what was happening once that we were in the lockdown. And what I noticed was, oh, there's you know, we don't have a choice. We're in this lockdown. I mean, we, I guess some people would say they have a choice, but if we're following the rules, we're going to be in this space to try to make sure we can do something to shift this. And what I noticed was a, a resistance to slowing down. Like the deep resistance was so apparent that it was like, wow, even when we're given this time on a global scale, we're basically being given a sadhana. Yeah. Yeah. A collective sure. sadhana. Yeah. And we can't slow down. And then when we get the message, you know, because I've, I saw lots of different things from like, oh, I'm going to do all the things that I, I didn't, I couldn't do before. I'm going to create the honeydew list and, you know, have the, all the, the honeydew, everything. Get all my and, photo books done. <laughs> right. Like all the things yeah. I'm going to read renovate my house. I'm going to do all these. And then it was like, oh, okay, maybe I can take a little bit of time to rest. And then once I saw people resting, 
what I, the feedback that I was getting is that, oh my God, I can't believe how exhausted I am. Yeah. I can't believe this deep exhaustion. It's almost like a layer was revealed. Mm. And then underneath that layer was like, oh, all of the unprocessed grief Stuff. yes, and all of the unprocessed trauma yeah. that I have, that I've been running from my whole life is now up. And so I get to choose, I get to choose, am I going to keep running or am I going to continue to rest? Am I going to find that therapist that I should have yep. gotten a couple of years ago? Am I going to sit with my family and talk about the grief or my community that has arisen that I didn't know was there. Mm. And so I think that rest is extremely revealing mm. because it's healing. It wants rest wants us to heal, but we can't heal what we don't know is there. Yeah. Yeah. And it's our culture does not reward rest. We do not, you know, we do not, um, there's no reward or aspiration for, for rest in the way our culture operates. Yeah. Um, and so we have to, and I feel that shifting some. I don't know if you feel like this time has really opened more people up to to that. I, I feel like there's hope, I guess, that we're... Yeah, we're, we're, yeah. I think, yeah. I, I have some people that will email me and say, I'm, I'm taking some time. I'll be back with you when I'm back online. And we're owning that a little on a little bit different level, I think, and giving each other permission to do that. Um, but that feels yeah. new, feels new. It, and yeah, I think there's, there's, you know, it's interesting. I think there's, there's a lot of us um, who have been talking about rest for a long time and teaching rest and myself, I can talk about just specifically yoga nidra and deep relaxation. Um, and I think that, those voices uh, had space to be heard even more during the beginning of the pandemic. So we can talk about Trisha Hersey and the Nap Ministry, Octavia Rahim and her book, Pause, Rest, Be. So there was all there was all of this that has been sp being spoken about. Uh, specifically by Black women, yeah, for a very long time. We can talk about Audre Lorde, yeah, and so. Um, you know, as a as a black woman, I can speak to the fact that it has never been something that feels safe to be able to rest deeply, to be caught resting is something that in my DNA could have cost my ancestors their lives. Right. Mm. Right. They were enslaved and brought to this country and other countries in, in Europe and the Caribbean to, to work and seen as not even a human being. Yeah. Yeah. You know, and that's not just unique to African-Americans. We can look at Scotland. We can look at Ireland. We can look at all of these different places in the world where there's, there has always been some sort of indentured slavery. There has always been some sort of trauma mm. that we all carry you know, and since the industrial age, it's been all about productivity. Yeah. Right. You know, since the invention of the light bulb, it's, yeah. it has disconnected us from the cycles of nature. Yeah. And I really think that when we start resting, we can connect more to our own nature, which is nature. And that in itself is healing. Mm. And you're all, 
I think you write about he heals your ancestors as well. Being able to connect in rest and heal traumas can also connect you with your ancestors and yeah, I want to resting know more for about them. that. I want to know more about that because I'm super curious about this ancestral piece. And we've talked to some other guests about this. Mm. You know, just our healing heals you know these generations that come before. Um, but I would love to hear your take on our connection to our ancestors. Because the one thing I've been working through in my own system is that I have some ancestral lineage that I want to connect to, but there's also some traumatic um, uh, stuff like that. I feel like if I connect to those ancestors, it's it's somewhat of a toxic experience. And uh, mm-hmm. so I just would love to hear what does this ancestral work look like for you and maybe mm. some guidance about how the listeners and myself <laughs> go about <laughs> go about working with uh, this ancestral lineage. Yeah, I mean, I think the, the first thing that we always want to do is we want to call in the ancestors that are well in spirit. Mm. The ancestors that have our best yep. interests at heart and are benevolent, yeah. right? Because um, it's it's not necessarily our job to heal the ancestral realm, right? But we can connect with those ancestors that we have that are we are in good relationship with. That's beautiful. So that's where I would say to start. So for me, that looked like starting with an ancestor altar. Mm. where I brought in photos of my Nana and other relatives that I know are well in spirit. My Nana specifically because I started to hear and feel her presence when I started teaching yoga. So when I started teaching yoga 20-something, however many years ago that was, 24 years ago, I started to hear her voice as guidance. I started to feel her presence. And so it can look for other people like finding out who your ancestors are, you know, doing something as simple as an ancestry DNA test, right? And starting to know the names Mm. of your ancestors. Now that is not available for some of us, especially because some of us may be adopted and might not know who our ancestors are. Um, but a DNA test will definitely tell you where, you know, your ancestors are from. And then from there, you know, you can do everything from in this ancestor altar is taking moments every day to just honor and thank your ancestors. Mm. If it wasn't for their prayers, for their hopes, for their work, we wouldn't be here. Yeah, so true. You know, and they live in our bones, They live in our DNA. Their stories are still alive within us. Yes. And I feel like the the more that you start to explore this, the more that realm starts to open Mm -hmm. up. Uh, And that can come in the form of so many different things, just pictures starting to come out of nowhere, which has happened to me after, you know, really just, looking and looking and looking for one part of my family. And then all of a sudden an aunt was like, Oh yeah, I have all these pictures. It's like, you've had these pictures for like, (laughs) you know, they're from 1899. You've had these pictures for a long time and never thought to say anything. 
But for whatever reason, in that space of me creating an intention, show up, it shows up. And then me, there was a, a, a break, an estrangement in my family with a couple of family members going to the ancestor altar and asking for that to be healed. Mm. And that happened on uh, like a new year's Eve day. And on the very next day, what happened? I got a text message from the the person that was estranged saying, I want to heal this. I'm realizing that I'm holding on to a grievance and I don't want to live in grievance any longer. Wow. So powerful. So, it, it's it extremely works. powerful, yeah. which is why you really want to work with those who are well in spirit. I have to say thank you for that, because that right there feels like the the core piece that I needed to hear today is that it's not our responsibility to heal the whole lineage, but to connect with those that are well in spirit. Yeah, mm-hmm. yeah it's beautiful. Yeah. In your Radiant yeah. Rest program, one of the lessons that caught our eye was the rewilding lesson that we talked to so many of our guests about and returning to your authenticity. Can you share with our listeners what your rewilding process looks like and how you work with people on rewilding? Mm, beautiful. Thank you for that. Um, so, you know, it's it's one of these things that happened where, um, and I'm sure you know, because you're both practitioners, where you receive a teaching and the the teaching is talking about, oh, visualize the vast blue sky or visualize the celestial beings or the planets or the sun. And we're doing these visualizations kind of in our yoga studio or in our home. And one day I was just like, okay, I'm not understanding why we're not doing these practices in nature. And why am I not just outside gazing (laughs) at the vast blue sky? (laughs) Instead of imagining it. (laughs) Right. Why am I not? Why am I not? And so I just started to bring my practice out into nature. And I started to feel as though, okay, what I'm remembering right now is that the Rishis and the Rishikas, their original seers of yoga, were having these realizations of these states of consciousness and these blissful divine experiences in the forest, yeah. in nature. Mm-hmm. So I need to bring my practice back out into nature and see what happens as opposed to have a prescribed this, 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 and this. And Mm. so that was really the beginning of um, what I would say is rewilding, right? Is recognizing that my practice and nature were not separate, which led me then to the understanding that I am not separate from nature. Mm. Yeah. And so the reason I put the, what I call nature amplification practices in Radiant Rest is because I wanted people to remember who they are as earth, as their land, their body of uh, their body being the land of the earth and vice versa. Mm -hmm. And that our consciousness is the same. And Thich Nhat Hanh talks about this um, in one of his poems, that the consciousness of the earth is the consciousness of who we are Mm -hmm. and we are earth. 
And I don't think that, you know, that's something that we can intellectualize. You know, it sounds nice, but I really think you have to be out in nature. You have to be laying on the earth and practicing. You have to be laying in a stream and remembering yourself as water and connecting with fire. And, you know, there's, there's so much to say about that. It's just like, one of my favorite that's things that's another in the world. thing i think the pandemic did is it got yeah. people outside back in nature cuz we couldn't right. go to public places and i do feel like there was a resurgence in the appreciation of of the natural world mm-hmm. which is exciting and beautiful mm-hmm. yes I, I i definitely think so and i think that that relationship i hope is still being cultivated because we have such um we don't really have a reverence. I don't believe a lot of times in the West for nature. It's more of an extractive mentality. Mm. Like I'm going to go and get something from this. Mm. And I noticed that in the beginning of the pandemic, because I had my favorite walk in Topanga that I would go on that, that, you know, you maybe would see like three people. And then I remember like in the lockdown, I went and I was like, oh my God, there's like a hundred people hiking here. And what I noticed was there was this thing of like getting somewhere or getting something out. Like, I just need to relax. So I'm going to do this. And there wasn't a real communion with the environment or an honoring and kind of respect for the land. So that was, so I think that is also shifting and people are learning and I also continue to learn. Yeah. Um, so yeah, thank you for bringing that, that in. Well, I feel like that idea of what can we extract <laughs> to, for our own gain is such a, a Western idea. And so this next question I want to ask, I want to ask in the, under the umbrella of that idea that we try to extract things, right? Like I'm going to go to yoga to extract something from it That's for right. my gain And so the question I want to ask, but now I feel like it's going to have a different flavor is you have been such a long-term practitioner of yoga nidra. You have spent so much time in that liminal space that what I'm curious about is how has that shown up for you in your life? But I'm asking it with the awareness that I don't want all of us to believe. Like if I just do do it like Tracy, then I'm going to gain what she gained. And is this even a gain? Right. But I am curious about when we commit to more rest, we commit to spending time in that imaginative spaces. What, what do we learn from it? Or I'm trying to avoid saying, what do we gain from it? But yeah, <laughs> yeah. I, mean, my flavor? You know, and I, don't, I don't think there's anything wrong with the idea that you're practicing because there's a desire, there's a need and we all we all come to yoga because we recognize that there's something in us that that needs healing mm. and that yoga can provide that right yeah. if we were, felt like we were perfect we probably would never have stepped on the mat there was something calling us there yeah true um what i can say about the practice of yoga nidra and deep relaxation practices in general is that they create spaciousness They create the spaciousness for us to hold many experiences, for things to be revealed to us that we might not have had the capacity to hold before. Um, 
it is something that I think reveals this kind of divine creativity. So for me, this is just an example. Um, I weaved the practice of yoga nidra in, and continue to weave the practice of yoga nidra and deep relaxation into my creativity. So when I was writing um, Radiant Rest, my creative cave was downstairs in the ha- previous house that I lived in. And I had a rest nest, my harmonium, my hang drum, and then there was a bed and my writing desk. And I basically thought about it as like a circuit training. Like, remember, but I don't know if they still do circuit yeah. training. Do they still do that? I, some so it was, some <laughs> people do. I don't. I don't. <laughs> it, was, it was basically like, let me rest and then write. And let whatever comes forward be something that is coming from a different place than just my mind. Yeah. And when I start to feel stuck and I feel like I'm thinking too much, let me go to my harmonium and let me begin to chant. And when I start to feel the bob from the chant, let me go back to that writing mm. desk. Wow. And I- then let me take a nap in the middle of the day. And so it just became this kind of intuitive flow, which I think is what some people respond to in the book um, is that feminine. I was, I felt like I was being held by the goddess Ugh. Yoganidra held by Saraswati also. And that created just the spaciousness for me to receive and to deeply listen as opposed to being in the doing all the time. That's why if that makes book, sense. That's why your book felt different to me. I remember picking it up and now thank you for sharing your process because now I know why it felt so different. It's beautiful. Yeah. I don't feel like I wrote it to be honest with you. All good things are channeled, right? <laughs> channeled. Like you were that channel. You, know, you just I opened just up like, to I'm, the, yeah. I'm an open vessel. May it come through me. Yeah. 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 That, that's it. Yeah. It's basically, I'm, I'm the the fingers that are typing, but all I'm doing is just listening and being in that spaciousness and hoping that the intention uh, comes through that people can cultivate this relationship for themselves because I'm not giving you a protocol to follow. Right. Right. It's not a brand. It's not like this is the only way to yeah. do it. The it's three really steps like, to rest. Yeah. Yeah. It's like, here's, here's some things that worked for me. And, you know, the householder flow, I think, is the thing that um, people really also resonate with because yeah. then they get to ha- feel like they can weave these things little by little, as you mentioned earlier, incrementally into the day without feeling the shame. Because I do feel like a lot of times lineage based practices, not that they're trying to project shame, but they can make us feel shame that we didn't finish that 40 day sadhana that we can't sit for an hour. And our friend over there is like, oh yeah, I had this blissful meditation. I was sitting for two hours. And it's like, well, I can't do that. And so somehow there's something wrong with my practice. The householder's flow is a way for us to know that everything is right. As long as we're remembering the through line of sweetness and divinity in our life, even when we're cooking. Mm. Yeah, that's such a, it's a beautiful passage. We were just talking about that this morning. Mm. We'll share that with our yeah. We'll put that in listeners. Um, what would your one piece of advice 
be to, to someone who's curious about yoga nidra, curious about rest and the power of rest, um, on just how to begin? Mm. Well, I would say the best way to begin is just to listen to a practice of deep relaxation or yoga nidra. Find somebody who you like their voice and you feel comfortable listening to them. And there's tons of, you can find so many different recordings on YouTube. Um, My book comes with free um, six practices. So find someone that you feel like you like to listen to them, lay down, practice, and start to notice the first thing that I would say is the journaling or writing down so that we can remember is really important after practice. And I I call it free writing because it doesn't need to be journaling. It's just kind of, you know, whether that looks like drawing or sketching or writing. Notice where you felt resistance. Mm -hmm. Notice where the resistance is because we need to create antidotes to the resistance. Mm -hmm. I love that. Yeah. It's powerful. Thank you. We end with a question for everyone. And do you have it pulled up, Kate? So this comes from the book, um, Women Who Run With the Wolves by the great Clarissa Pinkola Estes. Mm -hmm. And we've been so inspired by that book on this podcast as sort of a guidebook for how we continue to rewild and essentially just become more of our true essence, which is also what yoga, I think, is all designed to tap us into that essence. So Kate's going to read you... um, we truly believe you are a wild woman, which is why we asked you to (laughs) be on the podcast. So, yeah. So she talks about that. There are a few precious doors into the world of the wild woman. So we want to ask, um, if you have a deep scar, that is a door. If you have an old, old story, that is a door. If you love the sky and the water so much, you can almost not bear it. That is a door. And if you yearn for a deeper life, a full life, a sane life, that is a door. So we want to ask you today, what door do you think you took into your life as a wild woman? Mm. What resonates with you? There's so many answers. We could do a whole nother hour on this. (laughs) I know. (laughs) It's a rich question. Um, Yeah, it's it's wonderful. I love this. So what I would say is I feel like it's come in stages, Mm. right? I think that the two most recent doors, I will say, is the wound, Mm. right? That's, you know, my upcoming book, The Luminous Self, is about walking through Mm. that story, Mm. right, as a portal to freedom, the painful story. Yeah. And my connection to nature. So, you know, moving from Southern California to Northern New Mexico, there's nature is different. And so I've had to rewild in a different way because there's a new relationship that has to be formed. And so when I say it comes in stages, I feel like there's a deepening now because I'm, I'm here living with the seasons in a much different way than I would be in Los Angeles. Yeah. And it is beautiful and volatile and wild 
And I just have to open up my arms mm. wide and say, I'm here. Show me. Mm. I already feel like you carried so much beautiful Shakti. And now I can imagine you in the wilds of New Mexico, like tapping into that uh, in a new way, which is yeah. exciting. So tell us about your new book and where people can find you and what upcoming things people can connect with you on. Yes, thank you for asking. So the new book, The Luminous Self, is available now for pre-order. Mm. It will come out on October 10th of 2023. Uh, people can connect with me on my website, which is Tracy with two E's, Stanley.com. Um, What's coming up next is that in the fall, I'm going to be offering one-to-one uh, rest retreats in northern New Mexico, mm. uh, specifically for people who are interested in rest as a portal to writing or creativity, rest as a portal to some life transition, or they just need and are ready to start a rest sadhana and aren't quite sure how. Um, but there's also retreats and different things that I'm doing online. Um, the Radiant Circle uh, is a place where people can join every month uh, for different special guests and yoga nidra practices as well. Mm-hmm. This has been an absolute honor to have you yeah. on and having this conversation. And um, I'm just very, very grateful to have to have been able to have this opportunity to talk with you. You are you are such a bright light and you are lifting up so many with your work. So thank you. Thank you so much. I love the work that you are both doing and thank you so much for having me. Yeah. Thank you, Tracy. Today's episode is sponsored by Kate Moreland coaching and Heartland yoga. As a coach, I am an advocate for authenticity and well-being for individuals, organizations, and communities. Through my coaching work, I like to help you connect to your authenticity. Whether you're an individual, a leader, or an organization, your creative power lies in your authenticity. Doing the work to understand your strengths and acknowledge the patterns and rocks that are in your way is the path to well-being. Whether it's your career or your relationship with yourself or others, transformative change begins within. You can reach me at katemorelandcoaching.com. Heartland Yoga has been in business for nearly 15 years. I founded this studio with the intention for it to be a safe place where people could come and heal. I also knew that I wanted a business that fostered community and connection. So if you are looking to deepen your yoga practice, heal from physical, emotional, mental wounds, or simply connect with people who are like-minded, Heartland Yoga is a place that we would love to welcome you into, whether it's online or in person. You can find out more information at www.heartlandyoga.com. And now the amazing singer-songwriter, Lissy Morris with Wild West. Thanks for joining us today. If you like this podcast, please subscribe, rate, and review. Come back and rewild with us again next week. The